everybody, and welcome back to Supernatch Podcast. This is episode two. I am going to get this out right before Christmas because why not? Why not a little mystery? Why not a little supernatural for your holidays? A few things I want to make a note of, as I'm sure the following podcast will always have some sort of notes coming in <laughs> each and every week. I will be adding a bit more to the show starting with this week. I will be adding a section for the show's soundtrack. We will be doing week by week the songs that were featured on each episode. So lots of classic rock coming your way. Very excited for this. Most likely going to be creating a Spotify list that I'll be able to share with everybody. So look out for that in early January on the website. Actually, look out for the website in early January as well. Along with that, we are going to be talking more about the show itself and not just the folklore versus what Supernatural told us. I think it would be interesting to discuss the brothers' evolution over the next 12 years, which is daunting, but it's going to be fun and a lot of changes are coming their way. This will be the first week where we go into the episode and start picking them apart while keeping to the folklore and the so-called Hollywood vibe to each and every TV show. Even if you want to avoid it, it's most likely there. So, yes, welcome back. We are discussing episode two of Supernatural. Wendigo originally aired on September 20th of 2005, so that is... 11 years, 3 months, and 2 days old, which is crazy. Not surprising, because the show is awesome, and it will continue to be awesome, as we will see. We will not be having a guest on our second episode, but we will be inviting Kate back very shortly, so that is great news. Last week, we talked about A Woman in White and the lore surrounding that versus what Supernatural gave us and if it was sensationalized or embellished. If you have not listened to that just yet, I suggest you pause this podcast and go back just a little bit and listen to that first episode just so you get a feel of what you're going to deal with on the Supernatural podcast and the show itself. The show begins, we are in Blackwater Ridge, Lost Creek, Colorado. In the beginning of the show, we are looking at a very dark scene. And they tell us that it is Blackwater Ridge in Lost Creek, Colorado. This place is real. It is a very wilderness area located in Colorado. It sits on nearly 120,000 acres. This wilderness area, Lost Creek, is situated entirely inside of the Pike National Forest. In Supernatural, we see that there is a group of campers set out. Two are sharing a tent. One is by himself. And pause. One of the campers is Corey Monteith, who was Finn Hudson on Glee. So, miss you, Finn. Moving on. We hear a bit of growling to suggest that the Wendigo, or the creature that we don't yet know is a Wendigo, is actually stalking their victims. That was kind of spooky. I'll get to that a little bit later. So we have these campers. The focus, obviously, is on the one by himself in the tent. We will find out later that his name is Tommy. He is taking a video of himself to send to his sister. Uh, side note, he's doing this on a Palm Treo phone. I had one of those. It was pretty awesome. Although I really can't believe I had one of those. Moving on. 
After Tommy records his message, we hear a little bit more growling and something circling the tents. This gives me a hecking concern. I had the fear. When I watch this, I have the fear. I have this very deep, irrational fear associated with camping. I don't know if it's just because I grew up in a really terrible city most of my life, or I just have, you know, trust issues. I don't know what it is. But the idea of being in such an exposed, tiny little space freaks me out. The rest of this scene, Tommy gets kidnapped. Brad and Gary, they get taken. Eventually, they get dead. And then the next scene is Sam walking through the graveyard to Jess's headstone. Eventually, we find out that this is a dream as he wakes up in the Impala next to Dean. And later on in the season, we find out why he feels such guilt over her death. It's a very specific reason. We will get to that. But the hint of this is when he's standing above her grave site and mentions, I should have told you the truth. That definitely automatically shot up some red flags in my brain because we didn't know what the truth was yet. And when it's revealed, it was a pretty nasty truth. He should have told her that. But I'm not going to spoil it here. Go watch the show if you haven't seen it. (laughs) As they're driving, after Sam shoots awake, Dean and Sam are directed to the Grand Junction area to a place called Blackwater Ridge where there is, quote, nothing there, just woods. But the coordinates were supplied by John Winchester. Neither of them know why. They just know they need to go there. Sam is under the impression that John might be there, and that is his particular reason for going. Dean is, as we will come to see, the obedient do-anything-for-my-father son, which is fine. I love that their personalities are so different. They arrive at their destination. They are acting as imposters, as they do. I love when they do the FBI thing. Although this episode, they were rangers. In the first episode, I neglected to mention that they impersonated U.S. Marshals, and they dropped in a little Scully and Mulder joke in the first episode with the woman in white. So if you missed that one, I suggest you go back and listen to it because it's pretty epic and an amazing way to start a show. The brothers are talking to the ranger. The ranger directs them to Haley, who is the sister of one of the men that went missing into the woods. The ranger doesn't think anything went wrong. Obviously something did because that's just the way of supernatural. They arrive at Haley's house. They show her they show her another set of false badges impersonating rangers. They actually impersonated college students while they were talking to the ranger who called them on their bullshit. Congratulations ranger. You are awesome. Although he kind of led them ultimately to Haley and the Wendigo. Because even though he saw right through their bullshit, he still directed them to Haley, and thus the Wendigo. Moving on, Dean and Haley seem to instantly bond over starting with the Impala and her comment about it being a nice car. Then the fact that they will do anything for their brothers, that is definitely a chord that if struck, Dean is right there with you, as we will find throughout the entire series. They make plans to join Haley and her younger brother and a hired guide to take them through the forest the next day. No surprise there. Of course, they're going to lie about their situation. And of course, the truth comes out later on in the show, as is inevitable. So after the meeting between Dean, Sam, Haley, and Haley's younger brother, Ben, takes place, they end up doing a little bit of research, as they always do, in a bar, where they always are, if they're not in a motel room. And they discover that every 23 years, there is a series of attacks 
two people go missing, then 23 years later, eight people go missing, then 23 years later, two more people go missing, and so on and so forth. But in 1959, there was a lone survivor by the name of Mr. Shaw, who was a child at the time. They find out that his parents were murdered by supposedly a bear, but as the brothers are there for a reason, we know that they are eventually going to investigate, and it's not a bear. In between the research and the expedition the next morning, Sam is still acting a little whiny, a bit pissy about not finding John Winchester. And the tension in the brothers is definitely building over this issue. It's very evident. And then we cut to a scene of Tommy, Haley's brother, the one in question, hanging in a cave alongside his two other friends that were taken from the camp. We see the creature's silhouette. It's just downright freaking creepy. It's just really unsettling. We see it's a very brief flash of a scene, but it's the long limbs, the real straggly hair, and we know that this is definitely not a bear. The next morning, now we're on the expedition. They have an exchange with Haley and Roy, the guide, and Ben is just the quiet younger brother that's just basically along for the ride with his earphones in because he couldn't give a fuck, essentially. They walk through the woods in Blackwater Ridge, and they come to a spot with absolute silence. This is when they come upon the torn up campsite, and of course the dramatic music comes flashing in, because we cannot have some sort of suspenseful scene without some crazy violin drama going on in the background. Note, this is what I mean by Hollywood sensationalism. God. Looks like a grizzly. back to the story. Sam sees that the bodies were dragged from the campsite, but they lose the trail. And this is about the time that the brothers make a judgment call that it's not a skinwalker or a black dog, that they are dealing with something they have not dealt with before. Sam immediately gets anxious to leave, knowing or rather realizing that John Winchester is not there and most likely was never there. He doesn't care about the whereabouts of Haley's brother and Dean kind of reassures him and shuts him down and then delivers the line that everybody knows and loves. Saving people, hunting things, the family business. This is Dean's suggestion to Sam that John wants them to continue on, to fulfill the missions because it is part of their family DNA. It's their makeup now. It's what they're meant to do. At least Dean believes this. Sam, not so much just yet. It's funny in that moment seeing Dean talking to Sam about lessening his anger and gaining a sense of patience to do the job right, to stay, to help people out. I definitely like that. It seemed a little role reversal, even though we didn't know the characters that well just yet. It worked. It made sense, and I definitely connected with Dean in that moment. I know I've established that I'm a Dean girl. That is one of the reasons. (laughs) After the conversation, Nightfall, 
is upon them. They create a protective circle using Anasazi symbols to ward off the Wendigo, which they discovered must have been the thing that was stalking them. And when they discover that, Sam opens up John Winchester's journal and starts reading a bit about the lore behind a Wendigo. And this is a little bit of what was said. Wendigos move too fast to see. They roar, but they do not roar like any known animal. They are corporeal creatures that can be killed, and bullets will have no effect on them. Perfect hunters, they are cannibals. Wendigos can mimic the sound of humans, because they once were, and we will get to that. And the word itself is a Cree Indian word that means evil that devours. They are creatures that are hundreds of years old, were once men, either an Indian or a miner or a frontiersman or even a hunter. During harsh winters, these men would starve and ultimately resort to cannibalism and feed on their camp or fellow hiking or hunting parties. And if they eat enough human flesh, they become less than this human thing. They can hibernate for years at a time, and when they're awake, they will store humans alive to last the long winters during their hibernation. It's said that eating the flesh of fellow human beings will grant superpowers, strength, speed, uh, even an immortality feature in almost every culture. Just like bullets, guns and knives are completely useless against it. The only known weapon that will destroy them is fire. You have to burn them to kill them. Later on, we find out flare guns will do the job just fine. Back to the scene of them inside of this protective circle. These types of things, they aren't supposed to be real. I wish I could tell you different. How do we know it's not out there watching us? We don't. But we're safe from there. Dean mentions that he's surprised that a Wendigo is so far south to be in Colorado, as they are most notably found in the Minnesota woods or northern Michigan, and not so far west as they were in this particular episode. So this is what Supernatural tells us about a Wendigo. So what does folklore tell us? Is it basically in line with what Supernatural tells us? Or is there a little bit of variance, a little bit of leeway? So according to my research on the internet, a few websites of which I will list eventually on the website. Now, for this particular quote, I'm pulling directly from godsandmonsters.com. I wanted to give 100% credit because I did not write this. And this is all from their amazing, pretty cool, mysterious website. It will be linked on Supernatch's website eventually. But for now, I wanted to include the direct link since I'm quoting from it. The Wendigo is a demonic spirit believed by Algonquin-based Native American tribes to possess humans and turn them into cannibals. The term Wendigo or Windigo is used to describe both the evil spirit as well as the creature that humans can become when possessed by this spirit. The monster version of the mythical creature is very human-like, but tall, gaunt, with deeply sunken eyes and yellowish, decaying skin. They are impossibly thin and have an unending hunger that craves only human flesh. The only known way to become a Wendigo is through cannibalism. By eating another human being's flesh, be it for survival 
or some other necessity that I cannot for the life of me figure out, a human can be overcome by these spirits and transformed into one ultimately. And the fear of turning into this creature was so strong in these particular Native American tribes that it was preferable to kill oneself rather than resorting to cannibalism. That is just, it kind of makes sense if you believe something so fiercely, but I'll get to what I believe in a little bit. Deviating. So the Wendigo legend was prevalent in the northern United States and Canada, and particularly roamed around woods and forests in the coldest areas where food was scarce and survival was challenging. There's also a condition known as Wendigo psychosis, which would occur in people who have access to other food sources, but would inexplicably become overwrought with the need to eat another human being. And one such person was a man named Swift Runner, who was Cree, who famously slaughtered his entire family in the year of 1878 and ate them despite being only 25 miles from the Hudson Bay Company's supply post. I'm not saying that access to food sources within 25 miles is far, but in 1870, I just feel like 25 miles probably felt like 150. Am I wrong in this? Either case, he shouldn't have ate his entire family, and I'm pretty sure he went to hell. Moving along. Footnote. An Algonquin was a member of a group of North American Indian tribes that were formerly situated along the Ottawa River and northern tributaries of the St. Lawrence. One thing that I have to note while doing my research, it didn't actually come across a way to kill Wendigos. Now, I know on the show it talks about fire to end one of these abominations, but insofar as research, I didn't come across any way to actually kill them. Now that we have all that, Do we think the show sensationalized anything or embellished anything for the sake of entertainment value? Just like Woman in White, I don't believe that too much was sensationalized in this episode. And for the most part, what was said about the origin and known lore of Wendigos from John's journal, save for the mention of location, was fairly accurate where folklore tells us that they are more likely to be found in the Canada's Ontario regions Michigan and Minnesota still fit the Northern Territory bill, so I don't think that we can complain too much about that. And as far as aesthetics goes, from what we glimpsed of the creature itself, from its first silhouette to its demise in the end, it definitely appeared to have most, if not all, of the characteristics that a Wendigo might exhibit. From the ashy gray skin tone to the impossibly long limbs and fingers, even to the minute amount of dressings it wore, I think it all fit nicely together in with folklore and what can be found on the internet or in research libraries insofar as the mythical and folklore are related. Now we're going to pop back into the episode and finish it off and see how it all plays out. After the protective circle has been doing its job for most of the night during the daytime, the Wendigo starts screaming and mimicking human sounds again. And like some sort of rash hunter, Rory takes off, leaves the protective circle, and dies. Which was absolutely no surprise. Part of us, I think, not only expected it, but kind of maybe possibly wanted it because he was such a jerk. Although he didn't really know the full story, so I guess we can't blame him. Sorry, Roy. In the effort to find Roy, Dean, Sam, Haley, and Ben set off following slash marks from the Wendigo's claws left into trees. 
It's here, obviously they realize this is a trap, and ultimately Dean and Haley get taken by the Wendigo. But before this happens, Dean left a trail of M&Ms straight into the mineshaft where they had been taken for Sam to follow them, find them, and then smoke the Wendigo's ass, which Dean ultimately does once he gets free. Inside the mineshaft, they discover that Tommy, the brother, is alive. We saw earlier that Brad and Gary, Tommy's friends, were not so alive. And absolutely no surprise there because they were D characters and nobody gave a shit. Tommy is still alive. That's the most important thing. They get him down. They get Dean and Haley down. Dean immediately goes back into kick-ass mode and runs off and tries to bait the Wendigo to follow them while Sam wrangles up the family and tries to get them out of the shaft into safe passage. There's more growling, more shadows, more creepy moments. Eventually, Sam is cornered with all three Collins siblings behind him. The Wendigo stands right there. He's about to just get his meal for the next 23 years, and Dean fires the flare into him, and he went uh, bye-bye. The Wendigo went bye-bye, not Dean. We finish the show with Dean talking to Haley by the car. He cheapens the moment, asking her basically for sex in regards to saving her life because that's Dean. And from what we find out later in the show, he didn't really mean it, even though if a little tiny piece of him did, it's, he's a very complicated character. The brothers have their mini little chat at the end of the show again. Sam wants to drive. Dean tosses him the keys. And the show ends with the car driving away on a lonely back road, as we will see in lots of episodes that will come later. This becomes an iconic part of the show and one that I definitely looked forward to every week. So we did the whole episode. We dug into the folklore and the show itself. What do I believe? Well, overall, I find a curiosity to this lore, this myth that eating human flesh grants some form of cosmic supernatural power. But the thing is, it's mentioned in various cultures all throughout the world, and all of them seem to have this belief that cannibalism is a gateway to this other side of humanity, or lack thereof. I would never ever call Wendigo, or even a human that eats another human, a human anymore. I obviously don't support this because, ew, but it's definitely worth noting. And perhaps I'll do an, a side episode dedicated just to this and the various true crime cases that have happened in the past. If this is something that you'd be interested in, let me know. You can find me in the details I will provide at the end of this show. So stick around. Anyway, for Sam and Dean's lives, this storyline, the Wendigo, it all fits right in. Regardless of the fact that it's only episode two, we understand that this is the brother's life. This is their struggle. They question, they probe, they explore, they seek the truth, and they eventually discover it, as they always do, and they eventually handle it, as they always do. And they combat it because of the mythology that is written about it. So it's a little, it's a little meta, I think, actually, which is pretty cool. They do their homework, just like I'm doing my homework for these podcasts. And in the end, I think it's a perfect blend. I personally like this episode more than the pilot episode because I'm a forest mountain kind of girl, possibly. But also, uh, I like Mayans and scary monsters. So there's that. In the end, I think it was a great episode. 
I thought the tension in the brothers was ripe for that epic speech Dean gives to Sam in the forest. I think Sam definitely needed that. He's on edge. He's tormented by what happened to Jess. And we will find out why later on in this season. It just works. It all works. Their chemistry is evident. The dynamic between the characters and Jensen and Jared continue to grow at this point. And we are already fond of them. We're a part of this life. We have no idea where John Winchester is. We have no idea if John Winchester ever actually was in Blackwater Ridge. We only know that he noted the coordinates because there was a pattern there that he discovered because he was a great hunter. And Sam and Dean followed that and ultimately took care of that monster. And what's better than killing the monster at the end of the book? All right, folks, that is our show. That is episode two of Supernatch Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at SupernatchPod, or you can email me at SupernatchPodcast at gmail.com. Please reach out to me. Share your favorite episodes, share your favorite moments or quotes or songs. I will be posting the link to the Spotify playlist sometime tomorrow, so be on the lookout for that. And I will be doing every single episode And at the end of season one, I will be doing a whole season one playlist. So I'd probably be a little bit excited because the show has a fantastic soundtrack. And to have it all together is pretty cherry, I think. Right now, you can find the Supernatch podcast on both SoundCloud and iTunes. We will be streaming on two other host sites soon, so be on the lookout for that as well. Now, our next episode will be taking place next year. Oh my gosh. I cannot believe that 2016 is over. Although, I'm kind of happy it is because it was not a great year for some of our favorite celebrities and the world as a whole. I'm not going to go all, you know, crazy political on you because that's not what this podcast is about. So, move along. (laughs) Next episode will be Dead in the Water which is season one, episode three of Supernatural. We will review that in 2017. We will also be having a few guests coming on here and there, so be on the lookout for those announcements and their social media info. And lastly, if you like the podcast, please spread the love. Go to iTunes, rate me, leave a review. I would love to hear your thoughts. I know we are still a baby podcast and we are learning. And by we, I mean me. I'm not, you know, I'm, I don't want to pretend like I'm something I'm not. When the website finally debuts, I'm going to have so much stuff for you guys when you sign up. So keep an eye out for that and reach out. That is our show. For now, keep saving people and hunting things. I just wanted to take one last second to thank you guys for listening and to wish you all a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and a very Happy New Year. Stay safe out there, and I'll chat with you in 2017. Till next time, guys. 